0: We meet today in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 12. The coming of Christ is a purifying hope. The coming of Christ is a comforting hope. Firstly, how are believers to walk? How should believers walk? This section teaches how the believers are to walk down here in light of the coming of Christ. It is bound up in a little word word. Walk, which we find in the first verse of this chapter and verse 12. This is the practical aspect of the hope of the coming of Christ. We like to look forward to the day when we shall be caught up to meet with the Lord in the air. But my friend, in the meantime, our feet are still down here on the ground, and we need to do some walking. We are to walk in a way that will please the Lord. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. This verse begins with the phrase, Finally then, and that phrase marks a transition to the final section of the epistle where practical matters of Christian living are given more attention here what is supposed to happen then finally that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God we should keep improving we should grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God the work of the believer is very important here it is emphasized in many portions of Scripture and It is the emphasis here. A believer cannot do as he pleases. He does as Christ pleases. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 4 verse 2. Now in regard to their walk, we will find Paul giving some commandments. The commandments are very clear. You will remember that the Lord Jesus also gave commandments. Some of these commandments are new commandments. Now, let me say this very carefully. The Ten Commandments have no part in a sinner's salvation, nor are they standard for Christian conduct. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to take us by the hand as a pedagogue who would take a little child by the hand to bring that child to the teacher. Now the commandments act the same way to bring us to the cross and say to us little fellow you need a savior you need a redeemer. The 10 commandments are like a mirror which let us see what we are and they allow us to see that we are sinners. The 10 commandments were not given to save us they were never able to save they were given to show us that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. That is their purpose. However, there are commandments for believers and the standard for Christian conduct, which they set is on a much higher plane than the Ten Commandments. That set is actually higher. In chapter 5, we will find 22 commandments for believers are given there. Uh, The question that naturally arises is, if man could not keep the Ten Commandments, how can he keep higher commandments, more commandments? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that man was not able to keep the Ten Commandments. The nation Israel transgressed these commandments as Simon Peter confessed. He said, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Ex. 15 verse 7, verse 10 and 11. This is Simon Peter speaking, confessing that even Israel transgressed the Ten Commandments. Now, if we can't keep the Ten Commandments, how are we to keep the higher commandments of the Christian conduct? Well, man cannot do it himself. This can only be attained by the power of the Holy Spirit, Who indwells the believer? That is something that verse 8 will actually challenge us about in this chapter. Paul says, For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had some commandments for the believers. We are not lawless. We should be disciplined. And we should be in obedience to Christ. It should be a love relationship. We should be motivated by love. The Lord Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14 verse 15. So there are still the commandments for the believers, but these do not relate to salvation. Please take note. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. Now, we see here the theme of holiness or sanctification, which started in verse 13 of chapter 3. It now includes the family life and the sexual habits both before and in marriage. That is the subject of chapter 4 verse 1 to verse 8. Now, Paul gives three motivations for holy living. The first motivation is that we must fulfill the will of God in verse 3. And then we must honor the gift of once mate in verse 4. And then avoiding sin against another brother is the subject of verse 6. In Thessalonica, it was well known that there was a variety of sexual appetites, if you like. Believers who came from this background could experience problems. Sexual immorality here translates a Greek word which speaks about a broad spectrum of sexual indulgences, both illicit and unnatural. The term could also include practices such as premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, lesbianism, sodomy, incest, and bestility. God's plan of one man and one woman united for a lifetime in marriage has never changed. Any deviation from this pattern, excluding the gift of celibacy, actually constitutes sin. And so he says, God's will for your life is sanctification, and you abstain from sexual immorality, the list that has been included, and maybe even beyond that list. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. First Thessalonians 4, verse 4 to verse 5. Now, all around these Thessalonian believers were the pagans who combined sex and religion. Sex was a religion among the Greeks. You could go to Corinth and find that out, but you didn't even have to go to Corinth. You could find it right there in the city of Thessalonica. Now, Paul says that sanctification should extend to the sphere of sex and marriage as indicated in Paul's exhortation concerning the believer's conduct in marriage. This text suggests three admonitions to safeguard the purity of sex within the marital relationship and to ensure the believer's sanctification. The command is there, abstain from sexual immorality, that is the first Step. Secondly, the encouragement is to possess one's own vessel in verse 4 And finally, then the warning to avoiding defrauding a brother in verse 6 Let's pay a little attention to some of the words here There is a word vessel That word vessel may actually mean body Suggesting that the believer's body is to be controlled That is, it must be set apart to holiness and to be honored, or it may also refer to the believer's wife. The word possess may also be rendered take, procure, provide, win, acquire. The word passion of lust is an exceedingly strong expression emphasizing the strength of unbridled desire. The evil of defrauding a man by corrupting his wife or alienating her affections and fidelity from her husband is concerned here. Regardless of one's interpretation of words within the passage, the general sense is clearly stated here. It is clear and obviously understood as a call to sanctification and a command for Abstention from sex except within the purity of marriage. Now, we live in a society that has just cheapened the sanctity of marriage, even the sanctity of sex. It is talked about as it's something that is dirty because of sin. And God is wanting this gift that he has given to mankind to be held in honor. And the epistle to the Hebrews Affirms that truth as well That no one should take advantage of And defraud his brother in this manner Because the Lord is the avenger of all such As we also forewarned you and testified First Thessalonians 4 verse 6 That no one should take advantage And defraud his brother in this matter. Now you should be honest if you are going to be a child of God and you should make sure that you are not doing things that are causing others even to sin or defrauding them. That point has been emphasized. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse seven. You see, a child of God cannot continue in sin, for we were never called to uncleanness. We were called in holiness. The prodigal son may get in the pig pen for a time, but he won't live in the pig pen forever. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse eight. Now, another subject that has been brought up here is very clear. A child of God is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He cannot continue to live in sin because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The time will come when the child of God will long for holiness in his own life. And again, we can never be able to abstain and Avoid the way of the world and avoid sin in our own strength. God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can overcome. The Holy Spirit is the only means by which we can live for God. We see in Paul's Galatian epistle that the child of God is not to indulge in the sins of the flesh. Instead, there should be the manifestation of the fruit of the spirit in the life. In Romans chapter 8 verse 3. Paul makes it very clear. For what the law could not do. <laughs> Why? Is the law wrong? No, no, no. The law is not wrong. The ten commandments are not wrong. The problem is with men, Not with the law. Man cannot attain the level of the ten commandments. Nor can he live by the commandments in the new testament. It is only the Holy Spirit within the believer who has been given to enable him to live a life for God. God has given the Holy Spirit to every believer. He is not something to be sought after. A person is saved. Once you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. The moment a sinner trusts in Christ Jesus, that person is indwelt by the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 19, we find that when Paul arrived in Ephesus, he found people who were professing to be Christians. But he saw that they were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He asked them whether they had received the Holy Spirit when they were saved. They told him they had never heard about such things. They had heard only of John the Baptist's baptism. So Paul preached the gospel to them, and then they were saved and they received the Holy Spirit. My friend, you receive the Holy Spirit only when you are converted and come to Christ. At that point, the child of God receives and is baptized with the Holy Spirit, and is placed into the body of believers to function in that body. A person may have many feelings of the Spirit after that, and I think we need a constant feeling of the Holy Spirit. It is only the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that enables us to lead holy lives, but the constant infilling of the Spirit of God is needed. When you have gone on a big run, you get tired. You need the infilling. When you drive your car, you run out of gas in the sense that you have gone low. You then top it up. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine. Well, love is the subject. And the statement that he makes, that statement is rather amazing. A believer must have love for the brethren. It is a supernatural love that is taught by God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is not a theoretical kind of love, not just an abstract term. We have mentioned before that it cannot be just love in the abstract, but it must be love on the concrete. In the concrete, such love can only be produced in the hearts of believers by the Holy Spirit. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 10. These Thessalonians did love the brethren, but evidently their love had not reached the and uh, the bottom of life, if you like. They weren't perfected in their love, and there was still room for improvement. And so he says, we wish that you increase more and more. There are going to be some personality conflicts among the saints It may be better for such people not to be together too much, nor to put arms around each other and walk together. That doesn't mean we should hate them. We can still love them as the children of God. Now, the real test of our love for the brethren, if you want to put the blue litmus paper down in your own life to test it and find out whether or not you are a genuine believer this is the place to put it down. Do you love the brethren? The Apostle John even accused people who claim to love God when they hate their brothers. For he says, how can you say you love God whom you have never seen when you cannot love your brother whom you see? That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 11 and verse 12. These two verses are very interesting verses because they are actually charging us to aspire to be somewhere, to lead a quiet life, and even a controversial statement to mind your own business, to work with your own hands. But it is moving towards a goal that you may properly walk towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. The word aspire to lead a quiet life is an unusual expression in Greek. Aspire is a Greek translation which literally means to love honor. Consequently, the combined word evolved to a meaning of to be industrious. The word quiet, uh, for leading a quiet life, is a Greek translation which implies a restful or quiet life. Hence, the intent of the statement is that a believer should exhibit industry in living a quiet life. One free from contention with others and one ready to act in the sharing of life's essentials among the believers. This results in an impeccable testimony to God's own people. Isn't that amazing? My Christian friend, please note that all the dealings with unbelievers are to be scrupulously honest. God judges us. If we do not walk honestly, you can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.